This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 6, we're teaching a series on the keys of the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? The disciples answer a variety of people. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or Isaiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And Peter answers and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responds and says, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven, that upon this rock, the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, he would build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I like one translation that says, the gates of hell shall not be able to hold out against it. See, the church is the thing moving, not the devil. The church is moving forward, not the devil. Now, we look at the influence of the devil increasing in the world around us, and, and it looks like in some respects, perhaps, that the devil's winning. But any time the devil looks like he's winning, it's because the church is not doing what the Bible tells us to do and not using the tools that are available to us. Because Jesus said the gates of hell should not prevail against the church. Amen? Verse, 18, uh, verse uh, 19 is the one I want you to see, though. It's the one that uh, we're using as beginning point or a text for this series. He said, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is in relation to the, the, uh, the gates of hell not prevailing against the church. He said, I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, people didn't use keys in those days like we do. We've got car keys and house keys and office keys and other types of keys that we use. But people didn't have locks on their doors in those days. At least not the same kind of locks that we do and, and use keys to open them. Keys were used as a symbol of mastering a certain area or type of study. If you went to what we would consider to be a university today in that day then when you graduated they didn't give you a diploma to hang on your wall because nobody had offices to put their diplomas in but you'd be given a key that you'd hang around your belt that would be a symbol to everybody that you've mastered some field of study whatever it is that you undertook so when jesus is saying i'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven he's saying i'll make you masters of the principles that govern the kingdom of heaven And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And notice what those keys are designed to do. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice the binding and loosing starts here. Now that's completely opposite of the way that most of the church world thinks that things work. Most of the church world, most Christians seem to have the idea that whatever God wills will be done. However God wants things to be, that's the way it's going to be. But Jesus said that the authority to bind and loose starts here, not in heaven. He says heaven will back you up. Binding and loosing starts here. Now the word bind just means prohibit or forbid. The word loose just simply means to allow. So he said whatever you allow on the earth, God will let it happen from heaven. Whatever you forbid... 
or prohibit here on the earth, God will back you up to make sure that's done too. So Jesus, of course, we're having to take a leap here that Jesus knew what he talked about, that he knew what he was speaking. But Jesus indicates that the things that happen here on the earth have more to do with us than it does heaven. Well, that would make sense because you remember in the beginning when God created the earth, he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the earth and over all the work of our hands. God's plan for man to have dominion on the earth has never changed. It's never come to an end. We didn't lose that dominion when Satan came on the scene and sin entered the world. The world system changed. But God's plan for man to exercise authority and dominion here on the earth has never changed and never will. Are you out there? So Jesus said, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now what does he mean when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven? Well, strictly defined, kingdom means realm or domain. Heaven refers to the place where God has rule. So in its strictest sense, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, those are interchangeable terms. There are a couple of scriptures where the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven where it's talking about something beyond the earth. But for the sake of our discussion, we won't look at any of those scriptures. So kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God in this study is going to be interchangeable terms because he's talking about that which is under God's dominion. Well, what does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? I believe Jesus defined it for us. I'd always looked at it kind of as a general or nebulous term, just meaning things about God. But it's got to be more specific than that because Jesus told the disciples to go preach that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He had to give them something specific to preach. He's not going to just trust them to know enough about God to tell people that the things of God are close. After three years with Jesus, even after the Holy Ghost had come upon them, the Bible says that the Jews and the Pharisees, the religious council, took knowledge of Peter and John that they were ignorant men. Well, if they were ignorant after spending three years with Jesus, what do you think they were when they first started? It had to mean something. I believe Jesus defines it for us in Matthew chapter 6. He's giving them what, we, what the church world knows of as the Lord's Prayer. It's not a New Testament prayer. It was a prayer for their particular period of time prior to the resurrection of Jesus. So it says, beginning in Matthew 6, verse 9, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Jesus is saying here, these are principles to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. So notice he's talking about the kingdom of God had not come at that point in time. We'll see in a few minutes that it has already come now. So this prayer, the Lord's prayer, wouldn't fit for the day that we live in. Because the day we live in is the day where the kingdom of God has come. But he's taught them to pray, thy kingdom come. Well, that would have to be the kingdom of God, would it not? You're praying to God, calling it his kingdom, so that would have to be the kingdom of God. Well, what is that, though? Notice what he says next. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Folks, the kingdom of God that Jesus told the disciples to preach, 
the kingdom of God that Jesus preached himself when he began his earthly ministry is very simply where the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. Now, is that not what God created this earth to be to begin with? He created the earth, or literally recreated the earth in seven days, six days, rested on the seventh day. At the end of the sixth day, after putting man in charge of it and putting it under his dominion, he said that it was very good. Everything was perfect. There was no sin, no presence of sin, no activity of sin, nothing that could hurt or harm man in any way whatsoever. And God said, that's the way that it's supposed to be. Was the will of God not done in the earth at that point in time, just like it is in heaven? That only changed when sin entered the scene. So God created the earth for his will to be done here, just like it is in heaven. Now, where did God start changing his mind about how things are supposed to work? He hasn't. That's still his plan and his purpose. Where the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. You know, I, the, the Lord reminded me of something, brought something to my attention not too long ago that I had never before considered. And that is this. In almost 35 years of ministry, nobody has ever asked me about the will of God in heaven. Ever. I've had a couple of questions from ladies who are worried that they're not going to be married to their husbands when they get there. I've had a couple of questions about what the house is going to be like. People misunderstand what that means. But I've never had anybody ask, what's the will of God like in heaven? The devil doesn't fight you on that. Everybody understands that in heaven, things are going to be perfect. Nothing to hurt, nothing to harm. No operation of the devil in any way whatsoever. Well, what makes the church think that God changes because where we are located? God never changes no matter what. So it couldn't be the will of God to be one thing here on the earth, especially when we know it was his will for things to be perfect in the earth when things started. It would be impossible for his will to be different now just because we're here and under a corrupt, sin-dominated system. No, God's will never changes. God's the same no matter where you are, whether here or in, in heaven. So when Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven, he's telling us this is God's will. Now, folks, that'll answer every question that there is when you come to realize that God's will is the same thing for you right now while you're here as it is and will be when you get to heaven. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. 
Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now let's look at some things over in Luke. Turn with me to Luke chapter uh, chapter 3. I've got more scriptures this morning than you've got time to turn to. But I want to review some things that we learned about Jesus in his ministry, the beginning of his ministry. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, and thee am well pleased. The rest of Luke chapter 3 is the genealogy of Jesus. Look with me over to Luke chapter 4. Tells us the very next thing that Jesus did after he was baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost came upon him. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Says he was 40 days out there. We usually read it 40 days where during 40 days he was tempted of the devil. But he didn't go out there to be tempted of the devil. He went out there to separate himself with the plan and purpose of God that God had on his life. Anytime you separate yourself into the things of God, the devil will come and try to hinder you. The devil's not going to leave you alone if you are determined to grow and progress spiritually. So it tells us how that Jesus dealt with the devil by speaking the word of God to him. And the devil left him after that was over. And notice verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. It says he went out there full of the Holy Ghost. Now it says he returns in the power of the Spirit. He returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Now, folks, we know that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We know from Matthew chapter 3 that Jesus began his ministry by telling the people, preaching to the people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, there is some event coming to pass in Jesus' life that it was soon to come to pass. In our life, it has already come to pass. That event is the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is telling the people that there's an event soon to come to pass that will enable the will of God to be done on the earth just like it is in heaven. So what does he do? He begins preaching and teaching about God's plan, God's purpose, and healing the sick. Now, I want to read, I really don't want to take the time to do it, but I feel like we have to if we're going to get to the things that we need to this morning. I want you to notice what the first thing that Luke tells us that Jesus preached was. Now, this is not the first place he preached. It says in verse 15 that he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And then he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is his hometown as a boy. Came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened, when he opened the book, he found, he looked, at, looked for this. He searched out this scripture. He found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, everybody understood that those were Messianic scriptures. Those were scriptures that were referring to the Messiah that was to come. So the next thing Jesus says is critical. He closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, there is one teaching, and I don't know how to verify this. I've looked and I've researched and tried to study it out, and I can't find any verification on it to be sure. But there is teaching out there, and and it may be true. I, I just don't know. That in the synagogues, there was a specific seat that was reserved for the Messiah or what they considered to be Elijah to come. Very similar to the communion or the, the, uh, the feast, Passover feast, where they had a special cup that was Elijah's cup. Well, the teaching is this, and, and it may be true. I, I'm not really sure. I'm not convinced one way or the other that it makes a difference, but nevertheless, you might want to be aware of this that when jesus sat down he sat down in elijah's seat the seat that was reserved for the messiah now it would fit what he says next so it's possible so it's not a critical element but it's possible so he sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him If if he sat in elijah's seat you better believe everybody's looking at him and he began to say unto them This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. That's King James English way of saying this is talking about me. Now, whether he's sitting in a special seat or not, everybody's going to understand when he says these scriptures are talking about me, that he is claimed in their presence to be the Messiah. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which were seated out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? In other words, they're coming up with reasons why he can't be the Messiah. They think they know where he's from. And he said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. Now, let me stop there long enough to, to, uh, to make some comments. And that is this. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, in verse, I think it's verse 6, that Jesus, in coming to the earth and being found in fashion as a man, or fulfilling God's plan to come to the earth as a man, that he emptied himself. King James says he made himself of no reputation. But the meaning of those words are literally, he emptied himself. Many translations translate it just that way, correctly so. He emptied himself. And was found in fashion as a man. Now, here's the question. What did he empty himself of? See, Jesus was just as much the son of God at age 25 as he was at age 30. He was the son of God when he was born of Mary in the, in the manger, or in the stable. He didn't empty himself of being the son of God. Couldn't have. So what did he empty himself of? There's only one possibility. And that is he emptied himself of the divine heavenly power and glory that he had with the Father before the worlds began. He came to earth not in the power of the Son of God. He emptied himself of that. He became like a man. 
And here's the important point on that, folks. If Jesus came to the earth, as most of the church world seems to think that he did, that because he was the son of God, he healed because he was the son of God, he did miracles because he was the son of God, then it would be impossible for Jesus to delegate that healing power, that miracle working power to his disciples while they were, while he was still here on the earth. Because no matter what God's plan was, if he's healing because he's the son of God, they're not. If the power to heal and the power to do miracles is reserved for the son of God only, then they couldn't have done them. But if Jesus emptied himself, as the scripture says, if he emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory, what he had with the Father before the worlds began, then it's going to be critical for him to be able to begin to do miracles and healings for some other power to come upon him which is exactly what he preached in Luke chapter 4. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Notice Jesus did not walk in there and say, guys, I can finally reveal to you that I'm the son of God. That's not what he preached. Jesus identified himself as the son of man 60 out of 65 times and the son of God only five times. And three of those five are in the same setting. He didn't go around telling everybody he was the son of God. That has to be true because where we started in Matthew 16, where he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? If Jesus is preaching that he's the son of God, and if he's telling others, his disciples, to preach that he's the son of God, why would he ask him, who do you say I am? Or why wouldn't Peter have responded, well, you're the Christ, just like you've been telling us? But that's not what he has been telling He's been telling them that he's the son of man with authority here on the earth as a man, as a human being who's anointed of the Holy Ghost. That's why he had to preach the spirit of the Lord is upon me. His miracle working power began when the Holy Ghost came upon him by his own preaching, his own teaching, when he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. Now that has to be true, folks. Now think of it like this. If Jesus healed because he was the son of God, why would the Holy Ghost need to come upon him? Who can anoint God? You can't get any greater anointing or greater power than being the son of God if that's the source of the power. So why would he need to be anointed of the Holy Ghost? He wouldn't. He could have just started doing healings and miracles as soon as, as, soon as he was old enough to walk. But that's not how it worked, was it? So when Jesus says, I know what you're going to say to me, you're going to say, do the same stuff we've heard you do in Capernaum. He must have done some pretty big stuff in Capernaum. That must have been the reason why the fame went out throughout all the region roundabout. He must have had healings and miracles in Capernaum. But he didn't have any in Nazareth. Mark chapter 6 and verse 5 says he could there. Not that he wouldn't, but he could there in Nazareth do no mighty work. He didn't have any healings or miracles in Nazareth, except he laid his hands on a few folks with minor ailments and healed them. Now, why not? Wasn't he anointed in Nazareth? We just said that he was. 
But it's not just the anointing itself that makes the difference. It takes faith mixed with the anointing to produce results. This is so critical for you to understand. Because if you don't understand this, if you don't understand that it's man that was given authority here on the earth, you were given authority on the earth. And if you don't understand the importance of the the anointing of the Holy Ghost or the presence of the Holy Ghost or the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, then you'll never get to the place where the will of God will be done in your life just like it is here on the earth, just like it is in heaven. It's critical for us to understand that. But I think most of the church world misses that. I think they just miss out on it entirely. Now, let me show you some things that Jesus said about himself. I want you to look with me both to John chapter 5 and John chapter 14. John chapter 5, I want you to get this. And Jesus said this on, well, on two occasions we're going to look at, another one that we could refer to as well, but we won't take time. John chapter 5, verse 19, Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Now, Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about him. And he says, I can do nothing of myself. Now, I know that's blasphemous for some people to consider that the Son of God is saying, I can't do this by myself. Because we've got the idea, we meaning the modern-day church, has the idea that because Jesus was the Son of God, he could do anything. And he did do anything. And everything that he did, he did because he was the Son of God. But Jesus said it was just not so. He said the Son can do nothing of himself. Well, then that would have to mean that he's not healing by on his own power. That would have to mean that he's not doing miracles because he's the Son of God. Notice he finishes saying where this power comes from. The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Jesus is saying, I'm not doing the works, it's the Father in me that's doing them. Now let's examine that for a minute. What does he mean when he says the Father in me is doing the works? He was just as much the Son of God before he was anointed by the Holy Ghost as he was after. And he didn't do any healings or miracles before he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. So when he says the Father in me, he can't be talking about because I'm literally the Son of God born into this world. If that were the source of his power, as we said before, he wouldn't need to be anointed of the Holy Spirit. So when he says what he sees the Father do or the Father in him does the works, what he's referring to is the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the prayers that Paul prayed for the church as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost to pray was that God would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There's nothing greater than to know who you are in Christ, what belongs to you because of Jesus' sacrifice, and what God's plan and purpose for your life really is. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Well, if we're going to do the same work, we're going to have to have the same equipment that Jesus had to do the work. What must that be? The anointing of the Holy Ghost. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.